Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 as our opening text today. Galatians 4 verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But when the completion of time came... Yahweh sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. So, I am excited today because we're getting back into the book of Galatians. It's my favorite way to teach. Expository verse-by-verse sermons. There is nothing like taking a book one verse at a time, sometimes one word at a time, and figuring out what the author originally intended when he penned a text, sometimes thousands of years ago. So it's been about one year since I've been teaching through Galatians. Um, If you've followed along, we've made it from Galatians 1 verse 1 all the way to Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. And you can listen to all of those sermons online, free of charge. And if you want to know, say, hey, what does Brother Matthew think about this verse in Galatians? You can go back and and check that out. But we're going to begin in chapter 4 today. But since it's been a year, I would like to review where we had gotten up to before we go into chapter 4 a little bit today. So, in the last verses in chapter 3, I talked about the reason for Yahweh's law and the three main uses of the law in Scripture. That's Galatians 3, 19-29. The law of Yahweh is not a life giver. It is the way of life, but the law was never given to justify you or to forgive your sin. That is why Yahweh sent the Messiah. There are three main uses of the law. I'm not saying these are the only uses of the law, but there are three main uses of the law. The first one is, it is a mirror to show forth sin in our lives. Just like you look into the mirror after a day's work and your face is dirty, the mirror does not remove the dirt from your face, but it shows you that the dirt is there. The number one use of the law is a mirror to reveal our sin to us. The second use of the law is as a curb or a guardrail. And that use is more of a civil use to lessen evil actions so that uh, the wicked and evil hearts of the sons of men uh, do not take control on the earth. Uh, for instance, uh, a civil body politic or a community or a county has a law against murder. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily keep a person from desiring to murder, but if the commandments, statutes, and judgments are in place, it will, it will quell that evil. It will hold it back or hold it down to a certain extent if the law is used properly. And the third use of the law is as a guide or a map. And that use is to show the saved person or the person that has been born from above, it shows us how we ought to live. So now when we read the commandments, when we are a child of Yahweh, we don't just read them to reveal our sin to us, 
We now read the commandments and say, okay, this is what we ought to do. We ought to honor our father and our mother. We ought not to covet. We ought to remember the Sabbath day. We ought to not have other mighty ones before Yahweh. So the law acts as a guide or a map in our lives. And Paul explains in Galatians 3.23 that before the first coming of the Messiah, he calls it this faith, before this faith came. We know he doesn't mean that faith did not exist in the Old Covenant because he uses Abraham as an example, who was the father of faith. What he means by this faith is the first coming of the Messiah. He says that the Israelites were kept in custody or imprisoned under the law. And I talked about how that this does not mean that the law is a prison in the sense of being a bad thing. What it means is this. Our sins against the law imprison us. We are all held captive by the written law because we have all broken the written law. And in this way, the law was the guardian, or the in Greek, the pedagogos, the child leader, The law was the child leader of the Israelites to lead them to the Messiah. The Messiah is the culmination of everything that the law stood for and pointed to. Once an Israelite came to Yeshua the Messiah, they found the end of the law or the goal of the law. That's what I mean by the word end. They grew up from being under a guardian or a child leader to being now in the Messiah and being led by the Messiah. And Yeshua's first coming accomplished all of this. But Paul tells us that it's not just for the Israelites. Remember that Galatians is about Gentiles. And the word Gentiles in the Bible, the best way to understand it is outside of the covenant. A non-covenant person. Someone that did not grow up in the Torah. Someone that didn't have a father or a mother teach them Yahweh's instructions and Yahweh's guidance from childhood. Someone that was an adult, heathen, and they came to the Messiah. Specifically in the region of Galatia, that's who this epistle was written to. And these Gentiles, or non-covenant peoples, were coming to faith in the Messiah, and they were becoming members of the covenant solely by faith, and not by the works of the law. The works of the law were a certain select few laws that the influencers or the Judaizers would have them jump through so that they could pronounce them to be saved. Um, it would be like me you know, saying, you, know, you come in here to the congregation and you profess faith in the Messiah and you're baptized into the Messiah. And Galatians says that we're all children of Yahweh by faith for as many as of us have, have been baptized in the Messiah have been clothed in the Messiah. But then you do that and I say, but... You're not really a child, though, of Yahweh until you make a set of tassels and put them on. That's really what you need to do to be forgiven. That would be wrong of me, right? That would be adding something to the gospel that's not meant to be part of the gospel. The tassels are a wonderful, beautiful thing, but they're not for your salvation. They do not forgive your sin. So this is what Paul was dealing with specifically in the area of circumcision. The Judaizers or the influencers were telling the Gentiles, you're not really forgiven until you get circumcised. And the problem with that is that that's not what the Old Testament teaches. The Old Testament shows that there was a man of faith by the name of Abraham and that he was justified by faith. Genesis 15, Yahweh accounted Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. If I remember correctly, a good 14 years prior to the covenant of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. 
But that's not what the Judaizers believed. They said, you've got to be circumcised first. And remember, remember this, the reason they wanted the Gentile male to be circumcised was because they believed that through that act, the Gentile changed his identity or his ethnicity from being a heathen to being a Judahite or an Israelite. That was the whole issue there is you have to be one of us in order to have salvation. And the way that you become one of us is by doing these few works of the law that we prescribe to you. Until you do that, you're not saved or at best you're second class. You're not really first class. Faith in Yeshua as the seed of Abraham was not enough in their minds for the forgiveness of the Gentile. The gospel that was preached to Abraham by Yahweh, Yahweh preached the gospel to Abraham. And that gospel is this, is that in Abraham's seed, singular, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Paul tells us that Yeshua the Messiah is that one seed of Abraham. And through faith in Him, a person can become blessed and become a child of Abraham or a child of Yahweh ultimately by faith in the promised Messiah. If you're joined to the seed or the descendant of Abraham, the one seed, the Messiah, you become a child of Abraham by faith. The false gospel that was going around in Galatia is that, nope, you must perform certain works of the law in order to be saved. You must be of the right ethnicity. Being a heathen doesn't cut it. You need to become a Judahite in order to be saved from your sins. You must look like this. You must jump through this hoop. You must hurdle this beam in order to to receive the forgiveness of sins. And what does that do? Whether it's circumcision or whether it's tassels or whether it's a number of other things, certain outward works of the law, when you make those a requirement for salvation or when you make those a requirement for the forgiveness of sins, you take the Messiah and you put Him down on a pedestal and you put whatever work that you are teaching for forgiveness up higher than the Messiah. That's why it's a false gospel. It's so serious that in Galatians 1, Paul says if anybody preaches another gospel than the one that you've received, the gospel of grace in Christ, let him be accursed. And then he doubled it. He said it again because it was so serious. Paul told the Gentiles to not fall for this false gospel, to not turn from the true gospel. The Gentiles had put on Messiah. Galatians 3, 26. You're all children of Yahweh by faith. For as many as you of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. One translation says, have been clothed in Christ. Remember, I taught how faith and baptism are two sides of the same coin. And that in the New Testament you would never find a believer in Christ that was not baptized. That's because they didn't wait till baptism Sunday or till all their family could see them get baptized. They would baptize them that same day or even one time that same night in Acts chapter 16. So they came to salvation status as a believer in Christ. They were all one, Galatians 3.28, in Christ. And the word one there is used as everybody is equal in Christ. There's no male nor female, no slave or free, no Jew or Greek. They're all one, equal in Christ. It's talking about salvation status. That doesn't mean that Jews and Greeks vanish or male and female vanish or that even slaves and free vanish. It doesn't mean that there's not certain roles in the body of the Messiah. But as it comes to salvation status, to the forgiveness status, we're all equal in Christ. That's the hub of Galatians. Both Israelites that grew up in the Torah, like Shaul, who we also call Paul, and then heathens, those who did not grow up in the Torah, all of them were forgiven by faith in the seed of Abraham. 
and not by the works of the law. Now that faith that they were justified by or forgiven by led to faithfulness. Faith does not exist where there is no faithfulness. But faithfulness to all that Yahweh teaches happens in His time and at His pace. And when a person is truly saved from their sins, when they're born from above and when they're forgiven of their transgressions, if they truly have faith, over a period of time you will watch that their life slowly but surely grows and matures in more and more obedience. Never overnight. Never look for fast growth. Fast growth is a fraud. When you want to see somebody grow fast, that's the rocky soil. That's the seed that fell on the rocky soil that grew up quick and it looked lovely, but it had no root, so it withered away. True growth is slow, steady, and sure. So you watch people grow over a period of time. And works of the law, as opposed to faith, didn't mean, didn't mean necessarily the entire law, but if you study works of the law, that phrase in the Qumran text found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and also in the, in the New Testament, you'll find that it was just a certain select few outward laws that the Judahites tried to put on the Gentiles from the get-go that would kind of set them apart as Israelites. And they said, you've got to do these first in order for you to be forgiven of your sins. And that was a false gospel. So that's where we got up to through the end of chapter 3. So at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul begins with an analogy. And I believe that Paul repeats concepts that he's already laid out in Galatians 3, 19-29. I think Paul spoke of it in detail in chapter 3. And that in chapter 4, he now gives an analogy. Kind of like maybe I do sometimes where I'll tell you something and then I'll say, let me illustrate it to help you understand better. And I think that's what Paul is doing here in Galatians 4. He wants the Galatians to understand better, so he gives them an illustration. And he says this in verses 1 through 2. He says, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. So, when there is an heir to the throne, we're talking about just in general, or there's an inheritance for a child, while that person, that heir or that inheritor is a little child, they hold the same status in the home as a servant. They're under rules to follow. He's under the leadership or she's under the leadership of the father or the mother. The child may have a different last name than the slave or the servant. They may be recognized as greater because they're actually a biological child of that parent. But they're still equal with the servant in the sense that they've not grown up yet in order to receive the throne or to receive the inheritance. And Paul says that the child is under guardians and stewards until the time set by the father. Notice that it is the father of this child that sets the time for the child to inherit what is rightfully his biologically as a member of that family. The father gets to decide when the child will graduate to the next stage of life or to receive that promised inheritance. So if the father says, look, no matter if I die or not, you cannot receive the throne or your inheritance, let's say, until you're 30 years old, my son. If the father sets that time for his son to receive the throne or the inheritance, that's the time that is allotted. The father gets to decide. Now, this is an analogy 
that is related to Galatians 3, 23-24. If we read this in context. Galatians 3, 23-24 says, Before faith came, remember that's talking about the first coming of the Messiah. Before that happened, we, and Paul speaking of him and his fellow Israelites, we were confined under the law, shut up or imprisoned, until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian or child leader until the Messiah so that we could be justified by faith. The law by itself could never save anyone. The Messiah was predestined to be the bringer of salvation. He was the coming faith that was later, during the Old Covenant time, later to be revealed. He was the way in which a person is justified or forgiven of their sins ultimately on the eternal scale. So, in Galatians 4, 1 through 2, Paul means by analogy that prior to the coming faith, first coming of Messiah, the Israelites were like a child in a household that was equal to the servant. They were the heir, they were the owner of everything, but they were still a child being led by the guardian or the schoolmaster. They were under guardians and stewards until the time set by, in this case, Father Yahweh. Till the time set by Him. Even though they had such great status, they differed nothing from the rest of the world because every single individual Israelite was held accountable to for their transgressions. And the only way that they could be forgiven for their transgressions was to put their faith in the seed of Abraham the promised Messiah. So Paul builds on this analogy in verses 3 through 5. He says in Galatians 4 verse 3, in the same way, in the same way as what? As he just wrote of with the analogy, the child or the heir, we also, and he's speaking, when he uses the plural pronoun we, he's speaking of him and his fellow Israelis, his fellow Israelites. In contrast to the Galatian Gentiles, which he Notice in chapter 3, he uses the, the pronoun you when he's speaking of the Gentiles. He'll speak of them as you. And he says we, speaking of him and his fellow Israelites. So he says, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. Verse 4. But when the completion of time came, remember verse 2, that time is set by who? The Father. When the completion of time came, Yahweh sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law. Notice that the graduation from childhood to becoming an inheritor or an actual heir, what time is that at? The first coming of the Messiah. When the completion of time came, Yahweh sent His Son. That's the pinnacle. That's the first coming of Christ. Verse 5, why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here, I believe Paul is specifically talking about the Israelites. That's why he's using the word we. He's going to talk about the Gentiles here in the next verse. We'll get to that next week. But he's talking about the Israelites. They were given the law. They were under the law. They were under the penalty of the law. And they were like little children that were living in a home and were no different from servants or slaves until the time set by the Father. And what was the time Yahweh sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law. That was the time. So Paul wrote in Galatians 3, we were confined under the law. That's Israelites. 
the law was our guardian until Christ. That's Israelites again. And then Paul switches to the pronoun you in 3 and 26 in Galatians to say, for you are all sons of Yahweh through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And he's talking about the Galatian Gentiles there when he uses you. And I think the reason he uses the we and the you, as I've meditated on this, I think he does this in order to place emphasis on everybody and show that we're all in the same boat of sin and in need of forgiveness in Christ. We were there, Paul says, and now we are here in Christ. And the same goes for you, Galatians, Scythians, barbarians. Same goes for you. If you're in Christ, you once were there in need of a Savior, and now you're here in Christ. We're all one. We're all equal in Christ. I think that's why Paul does the we and the you. So Paul is using we in Galatians 4.3 to speak of his Israelite family prior to the first coming of Messiah. They were at one time children, Paul says. When? Prior to the coming faith. Prior to the Messiah's first coming. And how do we know that? How do we know that that's the the time period being addressed? Well, because verse 5 speaks of when the fullness of time or when the time was completed came, Yahweh sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So it's when we were children then and when the completion of time came, Yahweh sent His Son. That lets us know that this completion of time is the first coming of Christ. Now let's look at verse 3. This verse is widely debated by theologians, scholars, commentators. When the Israelites were like children, under guardians and stewards until this time set by the Father, they were said to be enslaved under the elemental forces of the world. Or the King James says, under the elements of the world. So many Torah observant teachers, I think, go on a wild goose chase here. And instead of looking at the context in the previous chapter, they jump to extra biblical material. But I have yet to see any of them stay with the context. And I have seen much better exegesis of this from Christian commentators than I have from Torah observant commentators. So I believe right now, my belief is that the elements of the world, in Greek that is stoicheion cosmos, elements and world. I believe the elements of the world is a reference to the law of Yahweh. Paul is saying that when the Israelites were children, they were confined or in slavery under the law of Yahweh. Now, I realize you know, a lot of people are going to jump back and say, well, no, I can't accept that understanding. I can't believe that they were enslaved to the law of Yahweh. But I would just ask you to listen to me, listen to me, hear me out, and let me explain myself. Paul has already said in chapter 3, verse 23, that before this faith came, we were confined or shut up under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Coming faith is Messiah. And I believe that he's saying the same thing in chapter 4, verse 3. As I showed in a previous sermon, and never forget this, it is not that the keeping of the commandments puts you enslaved or in a prison. It is our sins against the law that enslave us. That's what Paul is talking about. When we were children, disobedient, we were enslaved to the stoicheion cosmos, elements of the world, It's another way of talking about the law of Yahweh. Why does he call it elements of the world, though? 
Well, number one, if a person only has the law apart from Yeshua the Messiah, they are a transgressor and they are unable to have their sins forgiven on the eternal scale. The next point is when you study the word stoicheion, translated as elemental here in Galatians 4 verse 3, and also translated as elements in Galatians 4 verse 10, you're going to find, just like you do so often, that it's a word that carries a wide range of meanings. Most words do. (laughs) But generally, it has to do with the basics of learning or the building blocks of something. Okay? So, before you can read or learn to read and write, you learn what? Building blocks. You learn the ABCs. Before you learn to read or write. That would be considered elements or elementary things. Fundamental principles. There are basic fundamentals of art, arithmetic, and science. That before you can graduate to greater levels, you have to learn basic, fundamental, elemental things. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon defines this word, elements, as any first thing from which the others belonging to some series or composite whole take their rise, an element or a first principle. And I believe that Paul is referring to the law here as elements of the world because by analogy he is explaining what he's already said in Galatians 3.23 about the Israelites being confined under the law because of sin until the first coming of the Messiah. Remember Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the completion of time came, Yahweh sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Verse 5, To redeem those under the law. What does that mean? It's talking about sin. Under the law, I believe even in this context, even in reference to the Messiah, is talking about under the penalty of the law. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I get excited. Because somebody would ask, how was the Messiah under the penalty of the law? And in reality, as it pertained to his individual person, he wasn't because he was a law keeper. He was perfect. He was the Lamb of Yahweh. But he was born in order to take upon himself the sins of his people. Isaiah 53. And so he was born under the law, meaning under the penalty of the law, to redeem those who were under the penalty of the law. That's why Paul calls it the elemental forces of the world. The law shows us our sin, enslaves us in the sense that we cannot be forgiven without the Savior, without the promised Messiah. But once the completion of time comes, the promised Messiah shows up and He's he's a human being. He's born of a woman. And He's born, how? Under the law in order to save us who are enslaved because of our sin against the law. I hope that you can see that. I thought long and hard about that and used a lot of pencil and eraser and notes and a lot of mind power and a lot of waking up in the night to try to get this thing ironed out. That doesn't mean I have to be right, but I've thought a lot about it. So, let me get back to my notes here. The Messiah's first coming and all that was brought with it, His perfect life, His birth in Bethlehem, perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, ascension into heaven, took his seat at the right hand of the Almighty. All of that freed the Israelites from the curse of the law. Galatians 3, he became a curse, not because of himself. He became a curse for us. Don't ever leave out those two little words. He became a curse for us so that we could be forgiven. Now, that took them from being a child led by a child leader, a schoolmaster, a guardian. It took them from there 
to become an, an inheritor or an heir of the promise through the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. Now, I get this understanding not by jumping to an extra biblical book or even another book. I get this understanding just by sticking with the context of Paul's letter to the Galatians. That's how I arrive at this understanding. Paul is speaking of the law here as a fundamental or elemental understanding of the bigger picture in the Messiah. I sent out a tweet today on Twitter and it said something like this. It said that the law of Yahweh is a beautiful thing, but the work of Yahweh in the Messiah exceeds in beauty. It does. Because when we just have the law, when we just have do not steal, my mind goes back to the time when I was a little child younger than David and I was with my mama in the grocery store and I stole one of those little Cadbury eggs from the, from the checkout line. I stole that. Yeah. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Thou shalt not steal. That was stealing. That did not belong to me. I did not pay for that. And I got home and mama saw me eating the Cadbury egg. And she said, where'd you get that? And my mind rushed because I, said this, I thought I've got to come up with some kind of lie so my mama will believe me. And that's not right. So I transgressed again. Right? What's the law doing? Showing me my sin. I'm a little child. You don't have to teach little children how to sin. You do have to teach them how to be obedient. <laughs> so you don't have to teach them how to sin. And so what did Mama do? She called Grandmama because I said Grandmama gave it to me. So she called Grandmama because Mama's smarter than Matthew. And Grandmama said, I didn't buy Matthew no Cadbury egg. Where'd you get that Cadbury egg? I took it. I took it, Mama. And then Daddy took me up to the store and made me pay for it and tell the manager who was this big, tall, bald-headed guy that I was scared of when I saw him, I'm sorry for stealing from your store. So the law proved that I was a transgressor. Without the Messiah, Brother John, without the Messiah, I will be hopeless. Without the Messiah becoming a curse for me who never stole, who never lied, I would be hopeless. That's what Paul's saying. You went from the building blocks to having faith in the Messiah to being forgiven for your sin. He's not throwing off on the law. He's just saying it's a thing of beauty, but the work that Yahweh does through the Messiah exceeds yeah. exceeds in beauty because it's without flaw. Because His heart was right. His heart wasn't like Matthew's. The Messiah didn't ever have a stony heart. He always had that heart of flesh that Yahweh could mold and shape. And He always did the will of, of Yahweh. He always did the will of the Father. So the Israelites were like children. And they were under guardians and stewards. But when the fullness of time came, that time that was only set by the Father, Yahweh sent forth His Son. That's the coming faith that was later to be revealed. That's the law was our guardian until Christ by way of analogy. The pinnacle point in Galatians 4 is Yahweh sending His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That we, Paul says, speaking of him and his fellow Israelite kinsmen, that we might receive what? The adoption of sons. See, even Israelites have to be adopted by Yahweh. And the word means to be adopted. I'll talk about that next week. There's more to all of that. I'll teach on every one of those phrases in the next lesson. The point of this lesson is to realize that it is okay to refer to being confined or imprisoned or enslaved by the law because everyone has sinned against the law. They were learning the ABCs of the faith. 
They were being taught what to do, what not to do. They were being chastised and punished for their disobedience. And it was all leading up to an appointed time when Yahweh decided, I'm going to send my son. Now people ask, well, why did Yahweh not send His Son sooner? Why did He wait? My answer to that is, I don't know. I have no idea why. It's not for me to know. Paul says it's a time that's set by the Father. It's not set by Matthew. It's set by the Father. It's just like a natural father. Remember I gave you the analogy of a natural father? Who gets to decide when his child will become an heir? If Brother Jerry has something to give to Paul when he's deceased, he can write up what time Paul receives that. Paul is Brother Jerry's firstborn child. You you get to decide when Paul receives. If he doesn't want Paul to receive something he has for him till he's seventy years old, Jerry Kendall, because he's the father, gets to decide. So when you're seventy years old, then you can get this because whatever reason, I don't think you can handle it before then. It's up to Jerry because he's the father. It's up to Yahweh. Yahweh sent forth His Son at a time that He knew was right. And it must have been the perfect time because we're talking about the perfect father. So it was the perfect time. In conclusion, none of this destroys the validity of the law. None of this does away with the three uses of the law, mirror, curb, and guide. It just places the law in its proper position. Remember, you do not use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail. A screwdriver is perfect to do what it was designed to do, but it was not designed to hammer a 16-penny nail into a piece of wood. You know what was designed to do that? A hammer. Not a screwdriver. Anything wrong with a screwdriver? No, but that's not its place. The law was not meant to forgive you of your sin. The law was not meant to justify you from all your sins that you have committed. That's not its job. The law was not placed in the life of the Israelites to do that. The law was placed in the life of the Israelites in their midst primarily to lead them to the promised Messiah so that they may be justified or forgiven by faith in the One who obeyed the law to the T. Never transgressed. Never transgressed Yahweh's law. The law was an elemental thing that was leading to a greater thing. And sometimes we might forget that. Sometimes I forget that. There's been times in my life where I have tried to law it out in the sense that I thought I was earning or meriting something by how I live. There's two extremes that people usually fall into and the truth is right in the middle. And I've seen cases where people have called me or emailed me and and they, they fall on two extremes. One extreme is I've had people say they can just sin, 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 sin and grace covers everything. Then I've had other people Walk, like they walk on eggshells like Yahweh's up there with some kind of big thumb and He's going to pounce down on them maybe if they forgot to put their tassels on when they left for work that morning. That's two extremes and both of them are wrong. Yahweh's a loving Father. He's also a, ju- a Father of judgment, right? But the harmony is right in the middle. Yahweh's a mighty one of both law and grace. Of both works and faith. And we don't need to be so loose that we think that it doesn't matter what we do. But we don't need to be so tight over here that we think, well, oh, I forgot my tassels this morning. I sure hope I don't take my last breath before I get home. Or I can put them back on. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we forget the seed of Abraham. The Messiah and what He did for us. We extol the law in this congregation. And the reason we do that is because Yahweh extols the law. 
David said, I lift my hands to to thy commandments, which I have loved. I just got through teaching a whole series on the Ten Commandments. We love the law here. But we should never forget that Yahweh does what the law could not do. Romans 8, Paul says what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh. Yahweh sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Yahweh did in sending forth His Son what the law could not do. Never forget that. Always always lift high the law, but lift higher the promised seed of Abraham, the Messiah. Because He's the one that did everything perfectly. He accomplished all things that were written in the Law and the Prophets for my forgiveness and for your forgiveness. We'll talk about that in verses 4 through 7 next Sabbath. So.